This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com. Great dice and accessories for gamers. And listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tomes, Amazon, and DMs Guild affiliate links. And our patrons like Stephen Robertson, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark. Thank you for supporting us at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show. And I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 284, we're going to supplicate ourselves before powers from the great beyond, because this episode is all about clerics. And joining us for this episode is the Tome Show's senior editor, Sam Dillon. Hello. This is a title for you that becomes more and more meaningful with time, because once upon a time, you were our only editor. Uh, and now we've sort of, as, as the show has grown and people start editing their own shows and whatever, we actually have like a handful of people who edit for us now. But you you always get that senior title. I thought I was getting the senior title just because I'm older than dirt. Older. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been around for so long, you can't get rid of me. Well, you just I mean, keep adding on too. titles. Yeah. <laughs> I, you must I, be a very high-level editor by now. Yeah, I will give you whatever <laughs> title necessary to get you to stick around. So, you know, <laughs> whatever title you want, it's yours. All right, perfect. <laughs> and since you already heard him, also joining us for this episode is a comic artist who you may have seen before. He's the guy who draws the crazy annotated maps of classic dungeons uh, that's been published by Wizards of the Coast. He also wrote the King of RPGs uh, graphic novel back in the day. He's a big fan of clerics. He is not a professional basketball player, to my knowledge. It is Jason Thompson. Woohoo! Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and I assume you are not a professional basketball player, because that's what I discovered when I, when I Googled your name. Ah, uh, yes. I, I'm not also not a professional um, soap opera actor. Oh, okay. uh, I'm not many of the many other professional Jason Thompsons, sadly. <laughs> but you are a, a professional uh, uh, creator of art. Yeah, uh, I'm an illustrator and a comic artist. And uh, I do work for Withers of the Coast. I do the D&D walkthrough maps, uh, which uh, you can see at my website at uh, mockman.com, M-O-C-K-M-A-N.com. And uh, Mockman is also my Twitter. Um, yeah, I post a lot of art. I also do the um, uh, tabletop game, Mangaka, the fast and furious game of drawing comics, which is a... Uh, uh, sort of like Pictionary for Comics, and uh, that just came out earlier this year. Right on. So at the request of our patrons, we're going to be talking about clerics today, largely so that we can talk about Paladins next month. We're going to be discussing <laughs> why people... Well, that was the original request. So, Somebody wanted Paladins, so they... and we're like, shouldn't we do clerics first? And they said, yeah, that probably makes sense. So uh, basically, we're your guinea pigs. Well, it, it, we're the foundation that makes uh, Paladin conversation uh, a, a worthy topic. Ah, okay, good save. <laughs> Although it's interesting because I think if you go to like the like roots of D and D and like fantasy, if you go to like fantasy fiction, there's probably more examples of paladins than there are of clerics. Mm, maybe. It's, like paladins are like the holy warriors, right? They're always the good guys. You know, they're just like fighters, but a little more awesome and, and holier. But when you go to clerics, like, I mean, there's no clerics in J.R.R. Tolkien. And in, like, Robert E. Howard and that stuff, clerics are almost always just bad guys and just jerks, you know? So the Evil cult so, priests and whatever. Yeah, so the cleric is, is it's the most uh, one of the most mysterious D&D classes, I feel. But, uh, mm. but it's so juicy because they have, um, because they, they automatically, you know, 
get make you part of the world when you're playing them because you're you're not just some like schmo who's there to like get treasure. You are you're the servant of a of a god, right? So that you know you have to be all involved in this, you know, in this worldview, and uh, you know, you're part of the system. So uh, which is fun for the DM and and fun to role play. It's always fun to role play a, a religious fanatic, good or evil. <laughs> So as Jason was starting to uh, get into, we're going to discuss why people should play them, how they work, and how to make them awesome. Yay! And it's part four of our series looking at the different classes of D&D. That's right. Before we dig into that, however, I need to mention our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com. I recently gave them back some of their sponsorship money and bought myself some of their dice. I am continually impressed more and more as I interact with them and their product. Uh, I bought some gunmetal metal dice, which are awesome because the numbers uh, just really pop right off of that, that gunmetal sort of color. Uh, but I'm also really pleased with the quality of their normal dice. It's kind of a cut above what I'm used to seeing from the big dice companies. People should totally check them up and uh, up their dice game over at EasyRollerDice.com. And if you use the coupon code T-O-M-E, you get 15% off. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. All right, now it is time to kneel before the great and almighty that grants us unfathomable power and we talk about clerics. So, Jason, you were already talking about how awesome clerics are. Yeah, I mean, I, um, they're definitely my favorite D&D class. Um, so t- tell us what the cleric is for anybody who may be uh, a little less familiar. Okay, well, the cleric is the, um, you know, a... Hey, a character who is attuned to the divine and is basically like a priest and, uh, you know, has a connection to some deity or, or God or whatever, whatever, you know, passes for that in your campaign. And um, on a mechanical level, what distinguishes them um, is, you know, if you go all the way back to OD&D, they're like the original healers, right? Who you know, They're the only people who can provide some... Some uh, counteraction to the entropy of losing hit points that uh, affects your world. Um, so they're super important to have around, and um, and they have various uh, you know and they have various magical powers. And in recent editions, including fifth edition, they have different powers depending on what kind of deity they worship, mm. which is super cool. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yet they're also a little fightery, and that they tend to tend to you know be kind of like a defensive shield, and um, and where you know they can have armor and shields and stuff like that, and you know they can get in there and you know, and he basically heal the other party members and be like the um, support staff essentially uh, of the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they're our first uh, a full blown spellcasting class. Like I think our first uh, in this series that. We- uh, class that we looked at in this series was the Bard, but this is the first full-blown spellcasting class we've we've looked at, and it, it's kind of like uh, if if wizards are manipulating the stuff of magic themselves, uh, clerics are basically wizards that channel the power of the gods uh, in the form of magic, right? So it, it's god magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And anybody want to throw in any other uh, description descriptors for what clerics are? Well, I want to point out that um, Jason's right. They kind of they kind of serve a support role traditionally, but the cool thing about fifth edition is that there are so many domains that uh, you can actually play a cleric who is not relegated to a supporting heel bot role mm-hmm. which has yeah. been it's been a complaint of, of people who like clerics uh, in more recent editions uh, third edition is is really bad for this uh, if you if you build the cleric so that it's a very good cleric really one of the only things it's really good for is healing and and that doesn't offer a lot of versatility. Whereas in fifth edition, it's it's no, versatility, very, very versatility or fun. Like you've you've given yourself right. the, the restrictions of being a, a super devout follower of some god and having to follow all of their strictures. Right. And the bonus is you get to help all these other people, and you don't really get to do the cool <laughs> stuff yourself. Right. You know. Well, and the original cleric didn't even get spellcasting ability until second level, so they got to prove themselves and be mm. useful in a more sort of fighter capacity early on uh so that by the time they got the healing it was like wow oh hey look they've they've got something extra and we already know they're a good fighter so you know they they could actually do more than one thing uh but then in in later editions it became oh they they just get spellcasting right away and their spellcasting mostly focuses on healing and so boom here you are you are you're the traveling field medic and you right. talk about how they have all these different domains, and I want to point out because that that could sound overwhelming, like oh my gosh, there's tons of options. Mm-hmm. There's only seven domains, uh, at least in the player's handbook, right? There's a few others, uh, maybe mm-hmm. added in some other products, but there's only seven in the. There's one in uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide too. Yeah. Uh, so, and but, there's the death domain in the dungeon. In the dungeon, Guide, correct, right? Yep. But but the yep. point, I think, the, to your point, like there are seven domains, but there are seven. That's basically seven different builds, which is more than most classes get. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so, so the, it does add a lot a lot of versatility to the to the class. Yeah, Tracy. Yeah, but also the domains are pretty versatile too. In terms, well, there there are different ones for different play styles. Yes. Because mm-hmm. that's exactly. one thing I noticed. Some of them seemed a lot more mechanical, and other ones kind of almost required a DM who was willing to roll with you, like. Mm-hmm. Um, could adjust to what you were trying to do with things because yeah. it was a lot more like I want to do this thing. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, one of um, the uh, one of the the really interesting features of the the, the higher level cleric because they get that divine intervention ability, uh, and mm-hmm. that this is uh, an ability that that applies to all of the clerics, right? And and we're gonna go through all of the abilities in a second here. But but that one stands out to me as one like Tracy's talking about, right? It's it's a little bit more of mm-hmm. let the DM sort of go with the flow and roll with it and do something with it because it's basically a uh, you call out to your god for help and you roll a percentile die and if you roll, what is it, under your level, that, then god directly intervenes. Mm-hmm. But you can, only yeah. do, you can only do it once a week, um, you know, and it's pretty pretty flexible in terms of how God intervenes. It gives the DM a lot of sort of um, room to wiggle there and integrate story into it and do weird and interesting things. And it's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff like we used to house rule that as a thing in the in old uh, Al Kadim game I played in college. Right, the DM for that was like, oh yeah, anybody at any point in time can totally ask for fate to intervene, uh, or you know whatever. Um, and there was a you know a tiny percent chance that fate would, but when when fate intervened, like. It was a big deal, 
but there was also an equal chance that that fate would just come down and smite you for having the the audacity of calling on them, you know. <laughs> so, cool. But so I I just felt like that sort of codifies some of the, these things I used to, that we used to house rule. Oh, um, there's one other thing about the cleric that just uh, occurred to me is, of course, they have the um, turning undead ability, mm. which um, was one of their core features. And um, I don't I've never heard this from anywhere else, but uh, Michael Mornard, who's a uh, a old school grognard who uh, was apparently in Gary Gygax's uh, early gaming group. He claimed that the cleric was created as a vampire hunter and that the healing came later. Um, but it's a, their original feature was was kicking undead ass. So I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that, so, that, that's a better source than I have. So I, I'm going to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so one thing I wanted to say was... Uh, to speak to the whole um, domains being uh, sounding a little off-putting, like it's really complicated. If you can think of it like this, the domains allow the cleric to be a healer and something else. So Mm -hmm. like the war domain is like you have a fighter who can do some healing because their god favors them. And the trickery domain is like you have a, a rogue who can do some healing because their god favors them. Uh, and the I'd, Tempest, I'd probably the go Tempest the other domain, way. You've got a cleric who can kind of do some rogue well, things. But, but I'm saying in terms of flavor, right, they're, they're right. very distinct flavors. And so it sounds, when we say, oh, there's seven domains, it sounds like, oh, it's complicated. How am I ever going to understand that? It's actually not that complicated because no. they're based on sort of class features that it's almost like a multi-classed cleric, but it's not. It's just a cleric with a particular domain. Right. And 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 once you choose one of those seven, I, I would just want to make the point that, like you said, there was lots and, and, and that could sound overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, there's like 20 options to choose from. In previous editions, sometimes there were. You know, you could get into third edition with, with you know, various uh, setting supplements or whatever and literally have 20 domain options for your cleric. Um, seven is a little bit more manageable, right? I can skim through seven and figure out, okay, this is the one that's kind of the kind of cleric that I want to play. And, and we'll go through each of those um, later as we go, as we go through the, the various class features. So, um, but yeah, you make a good point. And, and, I, and, I, and they're not complicated. Honestly, the cleric um, is one of the less complicated builds. Now, I don't know that it's less complicated to play, because it's a spellcaster, and spellcasters are inherently a little more complicated because they have this long spell list of things to choose from. Well, and that's kind of an interesting segue, too, because on one hand, yes. On the other hand, I think with the clerics, you get the spells for your domain, mm-hmm. and then you pick a limited number of spells after that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, so, it's, and so like, it's not quite the same as a wizard where it could be kind of wide open. Right. Although the on the other hand, the the wizard has a more limited range of spells to choose from, whereas the cleric can choose literally any spell on any given day. Does that make sense? Because right. they don't have the spell book thing going on. True. So yeah, it's it's differently complicated, I guess, than the, than the wizard, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. think we're convincing any listeners that it's not that complex. <laughs> <laughs> we're failing our mission, Jeff. But, you know, if that's your thing, you know, if you like uh, tinkering around with spells and uh, get doing weird effects, and um, then that's, you know, yeah, I mean, and, that's and, what it's good for. And I guess my point is, like, once you've chosen your domain, the cleric class, in terms of class abilities, is less complicated than, like, the warlock that we talked about in the last episode, which has invocations plus spells plus plus these other class abilities and whatever, right? Uh, it's, it's less complex than that once you've picked your domain, except... 
don't forget you've got this added complexity that is spellcasting. Like spellcasting, and any spellcasting class is going to be inherently more complex than any non-spellcasting class, I think. Mm-hmm. So. so so, we've talked a lot about clerics and we started to get into, into their various abilities and whatever. Uh, before we dig into each individual ability, um, why should somebody play a cleric? I think Jason already started to talk a little bit about the inherent uh, storylines that, that kind of connect to clerics. But, but generally speaking, why should somebody consider clerics as a cool option? Tell us why we should play a cleric. Um, why should my next character be a cleric? Okay, well, first off, you're the official representative of one of the campaign world's deities, you know, so that's, that's super cool. That's, that's very awesome and special and, you know, heroic from the beginning. Um, it gives you lots of role play because, you know, you have, um, you know, you've got this mystic connection and you've got some, maybe you've got some dogma or some, you know, or some, uh, you know, message that you're giving to the world or some rituals you have to perform, you know, um, Furthermore, you know, you can do a lot of, uh, you can do a lot of, there's a lot of cool spells, and like, like people were saying, different, there's a lot of different builds you can have, not, well, there's a lot of different builds ranging from more warlike to more support, mm-hmm. to stuff that is more, um, just sort of uh, more unusual, like, 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 uh, the trickery cleric, or the nature cleric, um, so there's a lot of versatility, mm-hmm. but, and also you have a very cool built-in, um, built-in background which which uh, gives you a sort of authority you know in the campaign world kind of in this in this in a similar way that like a, a noble character or, or some or something would have mm-hmm. um, and of course that's up to you and the DM how what exactly that means but um, you know I think it's I think it leads to a lot of cool options yeah no it's similar to to what we talked about uh, of course I was the only one still in that episode but when we talked about warlocks last month, <laughs> Um, we, that's one of the things that, that we, we talked a lot about with the warlock is that it has an inherent story because of this connection with the patron and what have you, um, that, and it connects you to the world and there's an inherent sort of story that's going to, that's probably going to play out throughout the, that character's career, right? Um, the, the cleric is a little less, I think, um, driven, I guess, in that story, right? The, um, there, there's more, there's more, a larger variety, I think, of, of relationships that a cleric might have with, it, with its patron deity than a warlock with its patron, you know? Um, so, so the, the god might intervene on behalf of the cleric. It might not intervene on behalf of the cleric. The, the, the story of the, the, the religion might be central to the campaign and it might, sort of sit in the background and just be an explanation for how they get their spells um, throughout the whole campaign. It can go a lot of ways with clerics. Uh, whereas warlocks are kind of a little more stuck in, no, there's a specific story that has to be told here. So if you kind of want to have that connection, but um, but not be stuck with that connection, you know, uh, not have to always have that in, in the forefront, then I think uh, cleric provides that opportunity. I think, can I, uh, so this is kind of metagamey, mm-hmm. but uh, if your cleric is particularly lazy that and wants lots of rests, <laughs> that's probably really good for you. So if you have a DM who doesn't like doing short or long rests, clerics might be harder to play. Because mm. mm. channel divinity uh, resets after a short or long rest. rest yeah. uh, which is kind of, isn't it like in the past it would be like a number of days equal to your wisdom modifier, a number of times per day equal to your wisdom or something? It might have been, yeah. So that was yeah. the only thing I, 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 I kind of recognized reading through because a lot of stuff was tied to rests. Mm-hmm. 
So a part of that is because, you know, the, the, the traditional way that the cleric gets their power is by praying to their god. And you can't just pray while you're running and retreating and trying to regroup. You have right. to actually take oh, a yeah. moment and, you know, and and I think that's part of it. Um, but to the, to the actual question, uh, but you have a good point about, like, in terms of the mechanical sort of uh, the, where it does get a little bit more difficult to, to play effectively, you have to kind of watch your resources if you're a cleric, so to speak. Um, but in terms of why you should play it, so one of the reasons why I was really excited to come on this episode, other than that clerics are my favorite class ever, um, is that I think there's this um, sort of untapped feature that clerics have in terms of having a cleric in your game. And that is Ooh. that um, your cleric's um, faith and, and relationship with their divine entity or whatever it is, you can treat that as a, as a DM, you can treat that like a faction. Mm. And, you know, especially in like organized play, there's all these factions and forgotten realms. And they really, they really, one of the things that, that, that Wizards of the Coast has really embraced with this edition is, you know, making it so that there's there are representatives of different factions in the world that can help the group or hinder the group or interact with the group in a way that enriches the game and sort of brings the the world alive and mm -hmm. brings the NPCs alive well you can do that with a cleric as well in terms of who their contacts are you know if you're playing a cleric and you go to a l relatively large city, the very first thing that you should want to do, regardless of what all, everybody else in the party is doing, they're all going to say, oh, we want to go to the tavern and, and go have a drink and take a rest. The cleric should be saying, I got to find a temple. Totally. And totally, that's, totally. that's the first thing that I'm going to go do. And you all can go get your drink on or whatever, or you can come with me, but I am not doing anything until I find my temple. And at the temple, the cleric does more than pray. They talk to the other acolytes there. They talk to the, the priests there. They might have ac special access to, um, you know, any kind of lore that they might have there at the, at the temple. If they have a library, if they're, if they have any ritual components, the temple might actually just gift those to the cleric. If the mm -hmm. cleric explains, you know, what their mission, I mean, there's just a lot of ways to create context and contacts in a, in a new place with a cleric in the party that the party wouldn't necessarily otherwise have access to. And also, you know, that cleric is, is unless they, unless there's a really good reason, they're going to trust that person from their temple. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so they're going to, and, trust and vice versa. Right, right, exactly. And they're going to trust that that person is a good source of information. And they're also probably going to be relatively free with the information that they provide to the temple. That way, you know, when you need to call in reinforcements or you need some lore from somewhere or you need somebody to send a messenger, it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg because the temple will provide that service right. for you. When you desperately yeah. need to see the king to save the day, right? right? If you've got a that, cleric, you've got a, you've got a possible inside road to do that. That's right. And so I feel like in a lot of cases, that's a lost opportunity. Hmm. And so I, I feel like when you ask the question, why should somebody play a cleric? Because a cleric has built-in contacts regardless of their social skills, regardless of their background, you know, the, their mechanical background that they pick from the PHB, regardless of any of that, if they're a cleric, they have built-in contacts at that temple. Mm -hmm. 
And if they're in a small town, if they walk into a small village, oftentimes, if if they're wearing their, uh, you know, their cleric symbol, the symbol of their of their deity on their shield or on their tabard or wherever, somebody from town or from the village is going to see that, and they're immediately going to have a connection with what that means about that particular person in mm-hmm. the party. And which could be, po- be which could be positive or negative, right? If they have a positive impression of that god or not. Exactly. And, and so oh yeah. The whole idea of the cleric just being the heel bot ignores all of that stuff. And and I think it's really it is often an untapped sort of way to deal with the cleric as one of the faces of the party that does not have to have a high charisma and that does not have to be charming and that doesn't have to be, you know, have all those skills that are charisma related. Mm-hmm. They they just have it by nature of their class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if the cleric t- acts like a total jerk and does something to piss everybody off, that has consequences too. And it can have consequences that are good in the game, but that don't have to go so far as the DM saying, oh, your deity's mad at you, you don't get your spells today. Right. The church could yeah. all of a sudden decide, you know what, uh, maybe you should stay in the temple over here instead of going out and meeting people and, and rubbing them the wrong way. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, you need to do some penance. We're going to send right. you on this task. Even though I know you're in a hurry to go on the next leg of right. whatever it is that you want to do, you have to do this for us first. See, otherwise, There's, we're there's great storytelling opportunities there, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So now that you've, we've talked about how uh, – uh, clerics are not just a bundle of mechanics let's talk about the mechanics <laughs> <laughs> well those uh, are cool too i like talking about those too absolutely so so clerics are our first full-blown um spell casting class so i feel like we should talk a little bit about what makes clerical spell casting um different than than other spell casting and a little bit of how it works although uh i believe there's still in the archives a, a was a bonus action um that you and sam you and um 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 <laughs> James, you forgot his name, Man, James Arqueso. James, yes, uh, <laughs> that you and James did uh, back in the day. That sort of goes through the, the basic mechanics of spellcasting, uh, so people yes. could could go through that and, and get some some extra feedback or some extra insight into how spellcasting works if it's confusing to you. Uh, but clerics are unique uh, as spellcasters, and I kind of uh, mentioned this earlier in that they they're not as limited in terms of their their spell options. Right, they can choose any spell from a, a the cleric list every day when they prepare their spells. Uh, the only other class that really does that is Druid. Is that right? Correct. Yep, Druids yeah. do it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those two classes can basically say, hey, hand me the player's handbook. I need to pick my spells for the day, right? You don't have to worry well, about you don't have to worry about what what's, you know, what what you've trained in or what your is in your spell book or whatever. So you got a lot of choices every day, uh, although you're preparing fewer than a, than a wizard might on a daily basis. Is that Thank God for spellbook cards. That's like one of the my favorite things that was <laughs> yeah. for 5th edition. Yeah, uh, Gale Force Nine publishes those. Publishes those, right? The cards. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we. I, I didn't even know about them, but my players started bringing them in, and now they're all over the table. Yeah. See, I I, I have so few occasions to play that it, it's not super useful mm-hmm. to me. But uh, oh, no. but my players use them all the time, so it works yeah. out. Yeah. So one one note about those, I love the product. However, the first printing of those, they failed to put a concentration designator on any spell mm. that requires concentration. So oh. if you have the first edition uh, of printing of those cards, that. you need to take a Sharpie and put a little C next to those. 
Uh, just just an FYI for anybody yeah. who's uh, looking to find some. You can probably get the first edition ones a little bit cheaper than you there can you get the recent printings. So just be careful of that. But they so, are a wonderful product. So otherwise, uh, wizard or I'm sorry, uh, cleric spellcasting is wisdom based, um, uh, and and they get access to you know ritual casting like a wizard might or whatever. Uh, what else? Anything else make clerical spellcasting sort of unique and stand out as being you know particularly clerical? Uh, hmm. That's an uh, interesting way to ask the question, particularly clerical. I mean, the fact, I mean, you know, cleric spells, a lot of, quite a few of them are mm-hmm. healing based, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, healing and, and buff spells particularly uh, are prevalent, although you can do other things with cleric spells as well. Um, you do have a, you have a certain amount of necromantic spells. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a certain amount of. It's interesting how there's all this uh, stuff that's been in there since the very first edition that is all sort of like, it's basically kind of Bible-esque. It's like like insect plague. You can create yeah, a plague yeah. of insects, you know, yeah. and there's all these other... other oh, I, remember know, in, in, I remember back in the... I remember back in the... The, the second edition days when uh, it was uh, st- uh, sticks to snakes, right? And I'm like, well, this oh, is this right. is straight out of Moses, right? <laughs> so, they don't. Right. Oh, they don't have that in, in fifth edition. You're right. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah, and and that's yeah, and so uh, I guess the cleric has all these options every day, but they can only prepare a certain number of of spells per day, um, and the, and then they have their their given spell slots per level. So. Um, and how many? I, 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 it's always confusing for me when, I, and I played a cleric. This is like the one class that I've I've played extensively <laughs> in fifth edition. But but how do they figure out? Because it's not on the the chart. How do they figure out how many spells per day they can cast? They prepare. Uh, what is it? Um, it's uh, number of cleric spells equal to their level plus probably what wisdom wisdom mod, modifier. Wisdom yeah. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. It, it so, says in the PHB that um, they have to pray and meditate for one minute per spell level for each spell in your list. But mm-hmm. we've always just bundled that in with having getting a long rest, you know. Right, right. Yeah, and so, and and so like you know if you're like a, what's the example? Oh, here's the example. Page one, uh, page fifty-eight. It says if you're a third level cleric, so you've got uh, uh, four first level spells and two second level spell slots. But your prepared spell list has six spells on it of first or second level in any combination. And then when you cast the spell, you decide which slot to use. Right. So there's some flexibility there, too, in, in terms of, like, you could, you know, front load, oh, I really got to have these, you know, five first, or six-level spells today, and that means I have almost nothing in the lower reaches. You can do that. It may not be mechanically sound. Uh, you know, it might not be advisable right. because you've got no, nothing to use those low-level slots on. Um, but you can do that. You can choose. So you have a lot of flexibility in terms of what you want to prepare and even what level you want to prepare uh, each day. And uh, however, you always have your domain spells. Yeah, there. I was going to say. You can... That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've always got your domain spells, and you've always got your cantrips, right? Uh, every spellcast, almost every spellcasting class has has these cantrips. So they can just sort of do infinitely. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they also get their divine domains, and I want to go through those in a second, and, and those come with those divine, domain spells that you talked about. We t- mentioned briefly that they get these channel divinities, uh, so it starts off with your turning undead, sort of the classic anti-undead vampire slayer, uh, you know, uh, cleric ability that Jason mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of uh, iconic for clerics, even if... Even if Turning undead doesn't particularly make a lot of sense for your concept of your cleric. 
it's so iconic to what the class is that it has to be bundled in as something that all clerics can do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that gets upgraded later on where you can actually start destroying the undead. Uh, and later on, you also start getting some other channel divinities, usually through your domain that lets you do some other things besides turning undead that maybe ties in better to, to your concept. Uh, we And then I talked about divine intervention, the call, calling to your god saying, help, right? And there's a chance that god actually comes down and helps. Uh, but the domains are really where the, the the lifeblood of the cleric sort of flows, if you will, right? Um, the the general sort of class features are, are sort of a skeleton, and then a lot of the, the things in the domain sort of hang off of that skeleton. So let's go through the seven domains. Knowledge, life, light, nature, tempest, trickery, and war. Um, I, I've sort of, in my notes, I've sort of summarized... Uh, briefly, each of the domains, um, and, and the knowledge domain feels to me as the the domain for uh, clerics who kind of want to be the sage, uh, with a little bit of like divination mixed in. Right? They want to learn things, they want to know stuff, they want to have the knowledge skills, and they get la- extra languages, and um, you know they get to a point where they can start reading thoughts and do object reading sort of stuff. Yeah. The potent spellcasting ability doesn't really fit into the story very well, except that it helps them, you know be more potent spellcasters and keep up with the party in terms of power. <laughs> Other thoughts on, on knowledge domain. I don't, I didn't mean to suck all the air out of the room. <laughs> no, it's kind of like the divinate. It's much like the divination uh, wizard, you know, it's, um, I don't think it's the most powerful of the cleric, um, domains, but it's, it's very interesting because it, and it's very flexible because you have all these skill related abilities, kind of like a bar right. in a way, you know, kind of like a jack of all trades. You know everything, you know. So, um, well, that's what I was gonna, that's what I was going to respond with, right? It, it may not be as uh, I feel like it's less divine or less divination than the diviner uh, wizard, right? But but it certainly has that element, but it also has this sort of like library learning sort of element to it as well, uh, which can be super useful depending this, on your campaign. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think it's really useful for a campaign where there's a, a deep history that and the DM has created that or is willing to create it on the fly uh particularly where like the object reading and stuff like that which i know is higher level but still like everything like potentially everything then has to have a history and the dm has to have or think about or have thought about who might have touched it and who owned it and stuff like that which won't necessarily fit in a in all campaigns right absolutely right Right. You're right, actually, though, that, that uh, object reading and area reading where you can see something that happened in the past, like in a place that you're in, that's like an incredible like mystery-solving ability. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so useful. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So, yeah, you're totally right. And it's also it also works well um, with if you have a character concept where you're sort of the learned hermit, you know, where you kind of went off to study your things and and ignored the world and something has to draw you out of that which now you're an adventurer but you still retain that kind of personality and so Mm -hmm. as you go up in levels you know your deity provides for you to maintain that part of your personality even though you know so there's lots of backstory uh that could be interesting for that Mm -hmm. but i do agree it's it's sort of one of the lesser divine type seeming uh, you know so the so the in the uh, sword coast adventures guide there's an arcane domain and i that's very because in in its mm. name you know it's the arcane and that, it's also very sort of non-clericy in a way right, this cause is because it's, it's, it's the wizard domain. cleric right 
Right, and this knowledge domain is kind of the more non-clericky domain, or at least at first well, glance, it's, 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 it's the non-clericky It's the, the all-knowing oracle. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, which is not non-clericky, it's just a different concept of cleric, True. Right? Yes, that's that's true, yeah. I mean, but yeah, but I'm, I'm, I was sort of comparing it to other domains, but right. yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily the most powerful uh, domain either, but it has a lot of inherent story to it that I think can be really mm -hmm. interesting. So again, it comes back to like what Tracy said about, um, you know, does this fit your campaign or not? If it does, there's a lot of opportunities for, for, this, for this domain mm -hmm. as a cleric. If not, right. you know, maybe pick something else. Yeah. And, you know, how you manifest this, you know, like we're talking about, you know, the area reading and all that, you know, how you manifest this in a role playing aspect uh, could change. Like you it, you saying Oracle just now just made me think, you know, in my game that I'm running, I have a paladin, not a cleric, but a paladin who is he, he has this interesting backstory and he keeps having these flashbacks. And I keep running all the players through these flashbacks and they learn something new every time there's a flashback and and they're playing it it's like a scene you know there it's not just me talking at them describing a narrative it's mm -hmm. them playing through and then they discover something and you could kind of do that with this where you know the object reading and the area reading not, don't just hand the player the information you can actually make it a really interesting role playing scene where the whole group plays out that scene you don't mm -hmm. just read them the description of oh well you recognize this thing happened in the past here it is you actually have them play parts in that mm -hmm. cool and then the next domain then is the life domain this is the one where, where i'm like well um everybody wants their party cleric to be the healer and if your life domain you're like the really good healer right <laughs> so yeah. whether you want to play the healer or not that's what everybody wants from you and if you want to be the uber healer that's what the life domain is about but see jeff that's why we're doing this episode because we need to change that mentality <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that that we are going to single-handedly change that mentality uh, and yes, we are, Jeff. We have the power. And certainly I want to talk about that, that concept later on. In fact, I have a note to ask a question about that. Um, but, but if you want to not just be the healer but be the uber healer, I think that's where the life domain comes in. I don't know how else to – I mean your healing spells are more healy. Eventually they start healing you when you heal others as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and by the time you get to 17th level, it's, it's supreme healing where you don't even have to roll the dice. You just maximize all the dice, right? So you're just an uber healer. It's got to be the best healer in all of Fifth Edition, wouldn't you say? This, oh, this absolutely. particular cleric yeah. build, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. But, but I don't know that. Like, certainly, there's lots of stories you could tell as a life cleric, right? There's there's a lot of archetypes or whatever that come to mind for a life cleric. Um, but it's also like it's taking the stereotype and cranking it up to eleven, like. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not unique. It's not changing the paradigm for you here. This is the cleric doing what the cleric does best and doing it even better. This uh, is a this is a great. Sorry, uh, this is a great domain to play if your DM is running the game on the gritty mode with the low healing, mm. uh, because you'll need all of this magical healing uh, if you're playing on the gritty mode. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, you know, to make to make this uh, really stand out, that's one of the things that that could make it really s extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the the way to to make this not just seem like a, a giant healing robot is role playing. Yeah, absolutely. you know, you have to you have to differentiate yourself from just the heal spells that you have as a cleric player. 
and and that's how you would do it, you mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that occurs to me. I mean, this is getting to this is going to a broader ramble if I wanted to, but what does it mean in a campaign world where, where people can be like not only brought back from the dead, but have any kind of injury he cured or you know, diseases cured? I mean, if we're really going back to like the Middle Ages, I mean, then there's so much destruction and death and plague and you know stuff like mm-hmm. that. But uh, with a cleric, you could, you, I mean, you can, or a druid, I suppose, or a bard, you can heal all of this stuff, and you can, you know, surely everyone would just be running over to you all the time. And there's got to be tons of NPC clerics who do nothing all day, but they're just like. You know, there's like the doctor in the doctor's office, you know, healing people and, you know, resetting limbs and, you know, curing the yeah, sick. Yeah, but and... does the doctor do it for free? Mm. No. Yes. That's that's why you ha- that's why you don't that's why you still have things like plague and Well, and and the, and, and and the sick, cleric only four people. Basically. The cleric only has a certain number of spells per day and you could, you know, if you really wanted to cast them one after another, you could blow through all your spells for the day in 15 minutes. What are yeah. you going to do for everybody else? Which is why the cleric unless it's an emergency probably sticks with just a medicine check. Uh, and does what they can there. Without, you know, you know what would spells. be really interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, Jeff. No, but, but Jason, what would be really interesting is that idea that you're talking about. Yeah, you would just have these clerics sitting around healing everybody. What if that drained the power of the deity to the point where that domain disappeared out of existence? Because all, and then and all the plagues and all the illnesses and everything come back because now there aren't there aren't these clerics that are Ooh. so good at healing anymore because literally trying to heal the entire world, it was too much and the deity couldn't even do it. And they, they burned out. And then that actually made it worse because then people quit believing in the power of that deity because now the clerics can't heal. So now the deity really just disappears. You know, that reminds me of the, I think, isn't that part of the plot of the upcoming tomb of annihilation that, um, Resurrection magic has been tainted, and so people aren't coming back from the dead properly anymore, and they're getting all yeah, messed a, up and undead. A Sererak yeah. somehow is like doing something to mm-hmm. uh, to corrupt souls and make it so that no resurrection. Can I was going to say that what you're describing, Sam, is actually a recent storyline in the Green Lantern series of comics. Is it really? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So the idea right. is that that all the the energy for the various colors of rings comes from these like primordial entities. Uh, but okay. what the, what's discovered is that every time a, a ring wielder uses their power, they're actually draining the entity, and they do it to the point that the entities are are dying off, and the power is going away. Oh. So it's basically well, see, exactly I'm not, I'm what not you a said. comic guy, so yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> Somebody beat Funny. you to it. <laughs> well, you know there are no original ideas. That's they true. say that's true. So. All right, so let's get into the light domain then. Uh, I, I described this as as a cleric build that's kind of part blaster with some fire and light spells, but a little bit of defender thrown in because they can do this cool sort of warding flare thing that eventually they, they use it to defend themselves, you know, a quick distracting flare when somebody tries to attack them. And then later on, uh, what is a sixth level, you can start doing it for people around you as well. So you can defend your party if somebody's about to get hit. You can throw up a warning flare and... Uh, and distract their their attacker, uh, so it feels a little bit you know a little bit defendery like fourth edition fighter ish. They're interrupting other people's attacks. I, I yeah. call this the the fire and brimstone cleric because everything mm. is about fire, and so fire has this this history of it's the cleansing thing too, mm-hmm. right? It, it, you know, when I say fire and brimstone, you think like demonic, right? You know, brimstone and evil, and but in this case, it's kind of the opposite. You take that same destructive force. But you use it to cleanse, right? It's the holy roller, uh, you know, sort of. 
uh, preacher, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, Radiance of Dawn, I, I don't know, I haven't done enough, like, playing particularly spellcasters. Does that feel potentially overpowered given it's an area? And recharges potentially after a short rest? It's super overpowered. But, it, I mean, which is great if you're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it wasn't just me, because I read that. I was like, mm. what? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you get it at second level. I had a cleric in our campaign. I was running, uh, I'm, I'm running uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Tiamat thing. And uh, at second level, they're like swarmed by like 20 kobolds, and there's like poof, they just destroy them all with their awesome ability, yeah. which I didn't realize they had just acquired. So. Yeah, because it's, it's it, by second level, you're, you're doing a, a 30 foot radius blast around you, to, but only affects hostile creatures. And they take 2d10 plus your cleric level in damage. Um, which, like you mentioned, Jason, like you got a horde of kobolds around you. Okay, bam. 30-foot radius is a huge amount of space, and there's no risk of like fireballing your party, right? It only, uh, it only hits the enemy. <laughs> so, Yeah. Oh, good yeah. times. <laughs> but, but I mean, 2, 2d10, but you know, recognize also that, that that 2d10 plus your level doesn't ever increase. It doesn't, it doesn't scale, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So so it seems really powerful at low levels, but as you go up in level, it does not really. It's very static. Yeah, it's a good horde breaker. Like like it it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you just have minions. to hope the hordes afterwards are undead, and then you'll be fine. Right. Even exactly. Better. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, in my mind, as I go through all of the the domains and the types of clerics, right? The the life cleric and the light cleric are the two domains that, to me, are the the quote goody goody clerics, right? Like, <laughs> if you are a life cleric or a light cleric, based solely on story, you're probably like the lawful good good guy. Uh, any mm-hmm. of the others can go any way, but life and light are the good the good guys. Yeah, but I kind of I kind of left. Like combining like that, um, being able to do two d ten potentially versus you get proficiency for ten minutes and something. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's a good channel divinity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So then next up is the nature cleric, which uh, like Sam mentioned that that a lot of the domains are sort of if you want to be a cleric but a little bit of something else. Like the nature domain cleric feels like if you want to be a cleric but a little bit druid. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then this is the way you go, and, and they throw in this this, um, this elemental sort of sort of like the the light clerics um, uh, warding flare. Uh, they've got this uh, dampen element sort of protect. You know, you're about to get hit with the fireball, or your allies about to get hit with the fireball. Give them resistance real quick to fire, sort of thing. Um, thrown in there in the mix that druids and clerics, neither one of them really does, but it makes them sort of unique in their naturiness. But otherwise, you know, it's talk to animals and charm animals and plants and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very, it's, uh, it, if you want to do a, a druid, if you don't want to do a druid, but you want to be nature here you go. Mm-hmm. So to speak to speak to um, Tracy's point a second ago, this has a similar thing where it feels like it's just not as powerful. When, you, mm-hmm. when you're just directly comparing, it feels like it's not as powerful as Radiance of the, of the Dawn, for example. And the thing is that th- this is where... You have to use, you know, as as was said earlier, you know, you kind of have to use a little bit of role playing to mm-hmm. to make yeah. it make sense that 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 character has those powers instead of the other ones. Um, so yeah, it's it, it it is a little, you know, um, 
clerics can be a little role-playing heavy to distinguish themselves. And I don't mean it like, you know, the cleric has to uh, run around, you know, like a Bible thumper or something like that. I don't mean it in that way, in, in, in a very derogatory way. But, you know, it's important to understand that I- even if your, say, second-level channel divinity doesn't seem so great, you know, if the whole package that you're picking in your domain feels really like the type of character you want to play, then you should play that thing and play mm-hmm. the heck out of it. Absolutely. And who cares if it doesn't have, like, the total awesome well, second level second and level honestly, like, if, if I'm considering, like, the way I run games anyway, right, um, the channel divinity of charming animals and plant creatures is not weak, like... Sure, the, the the light cleric is going to blast their enemies, but but this cleric is just going to charm the the creatures and walk past that fight. You know, uh, in, well, in, that in, in a lot of cases. Like, like I would love, like as a DM, if someone had uh, this uh, domain, I would love them to be able to like try to get a rat that can get the key to get them out sure. of her, or or yeah. yeah. yep. charm charm a plant to grow suddenly. Like I would allow it. Yeah, like, absolutely. In order to get up a tower or something like that, like I did that kind of stuff constantly when I was so so. I mentioned the one uh, uh, character I've run extensively in fifth edition was a cleric who's actually uh, a multi-class cleric druid, uh, and and you know traditionally you know druids have this wild shape ability and, and the traditional sort of you know assumption is that they're constantly turning into you know wolves and bears and stuff to to fight with Uh, i I, my cleric or my druid never did that right it was always stuff like what you're talking about tracy it was always like i'm gonna i'm gonna be the the party rogue and sneak into places but i'm gonna be a mouse to do it or you know that kind of stuff Uh, (laughs) i'm all about doing clever things like that yeah and so if you're a dm who has somebody who has this you might want to think about some of those things that you might offer (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or Mm -hmm. have on on hand like, I'll allow you to do this with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then next up is the Tempest, uh, which is actually the type of domain that I played as a cleric um, because he was a, a druid cleric of the storms, right? So it all made sense. Uh, the Tempest cleric is is this... It's kind of the war cleric, but with more flash, literally. Like, it, it's, a, it's, a martial, <laughs> it's a martial cleric that runs up and hits things with a mace. Uh, but enhances its martial ability not through just its its warlike prowess, but it enhances it through the power of the storm. It's kind of it's kind of Thor, right? I'm going to hit the guy, but then there's going to be a peal of thunder. Or they're going to be hit by lightning or whatever. It's a little like the light cleric. It, like the light cleric is for fire and radiance. This is for like a thunder and lightning, basically. Yeah. And their um their level two their level two power is also pretty awesome because they can do ma- their destructive wrath, which lets them do maximum damage instead of rolling when they're using um lightning. You know, like lightning bolt or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, absolutely. Although they're... and they can fly. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can fly at seventeenth level. Oh well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right, but e- but even at 17th level, flying is not uh, handed out like. No, like it's it was not. In fourth, but, in fourth edition, everybody could fly by the time they were up in the 20s. You know. Right, but but uh, but I but the point I'm making, like, if they're flying at 17th level, that's not game breaking. Just like when we talked about the knowledge cleric and the object reading, area oh, reading right. stuff. Yeah. Like that yeah. could totally break a campaign, and that well, okay, you're done telling mystery stories now, right? Because they can mm-hmm, they can yeah. do this stuff and completely break it. But by the time they're 17th level. They should be breaking those kinds of stories anyway. <laughs> so, so, and same thing with flight, right? Flying on the on the the storms and whatever, like that's fine. It's it's gonna work as a seventeenth level. You should be wrapping things up at that point anyway. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. 
All right, so after the, the Tempest, then, is Trickery, which is, uh, as Sam pointed out, it's sort of the cleric who wants to play around with a little bit of Rogue. It's got sort of charming and disguising and sneaking abilities. And I love hide, this guy. Hiding, hiding and invoking duplicity. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's really a very interesting talk build, about, actually. Talk about invoking du- duplicity, because that's not only their channel of divinity, but it's also their 17th level ability to do that even better. Yeah, so basically uh, you can create uh, an illusion of yourself so that there's an exact replica of you, a duplicate. Um, and it's a perfect illusion. So basically uh, anybody seeing it is going to think it was you. Yeah. All those, um, all those and, times that somebody attacked Loki in the Avengers mm-hmm. movie and it turned out it wasn't really Loki, this was him using <laughs> that ability, right? Right. So, and it's, you know... Uh, you can make it move and, uh, you know, it, it can be as far away as 120 feet from you. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it gives you advantage on attack rolls or something when, when a creature can see uh, both of you or something like that. And, and it's, it's just, it's really interesting, you know, you know, if you think about it, like you could, you could use that also not just in combat, but with some really interesting sort of role playing. What if you're at a big royal ball, and uh, you need to talk to two different people, but or or you need to get somebody's attention, but you actually don't want to end the conversation you're having. You just create another duplicate of yourself mm-hmm. to go off and distract somebody, and then walk away. And you know, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just not that you can talk. Uh, through that person but it's it's just a very interesting kind of you know very different from say the what what was we were just talking about the um the the really powerful one the the tempest or the radiance of the dawn Mm -hmm. you know like very different those are both second level channel divinities for a cleric but so different in their feeling and flavor Mm -hmm. um and then and then what happens is at sixth level you get cloak of shadows which basically makes you become invisible for a turn um yeah, and and then at seventeenth level you get improved duplicity, which means you can create not just one extra of yourself, but four mm-hmm. of yourself. So there can be five of you on the battlefield <laughs> at right. any given time. I mean, it's, it's just kind it's of a, just, it's just kind of a, a, a easier to cast uh, mirror image, right? Yeah. Um, also, I think this this particular cleric build has great domain spells. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. disguise self. Uh, they've got blink. They've got this blink. They've got dimension door. They got polymorph. They can teleport. They can change shape. Lots of really cool stuff. And their first level ability isn't that strong. That lets them. It's um, blessing of the trickster. It lets them uh, give another creature advantage on stealth checks. But it would be you could picture like a like two characters working together, like a rogue and a trickster cleric, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's you know it's great role playing. It's it's great teamwork. You know they're they got each other's back and they're mm-hmm. you know they and the uh, and the the rogue gets to know that no matter what what he's doing, it's all fine with you know with the deities. You know it's good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I can totally see a lot of opportunities for for a, uh, a trickster or a trickery uh, uh, cleric. So. Uh, and then lastly, in the player's handbook anyway, uh, although, Sam, you mentioned there's also a, an arcane domain, but the last one in the player's handbook is our war domain, which is basically the the cleric who wants to be a little bit more fighter, right? Um, uh, it's a martial build that's a little less showy than the, than the Tempest, and it's basically, uh, I'm going to run up and hit it with my mace, but because I'm a war cleric, I'm going to hit it even harder. 
Um, mm-hmm. This guy, I, the first thing I noticed about the War Domain is they get bonus attacks at first level, mm. which is uh, pretty awesome. I mean, they can only do it a limited number of times per day, if I, I believe. Um, yeah, per, per wisdom modifier, but still, at, at early levels, that's that's a major, uh, mm-hmm. majorly cool. Well, and Plus, they automatically have heavy armor and, and martial weapon proficiency, mm-hmm. which none of the other cleric builds do. Yeah. So you can start first level with better armor and, and equipment mm-hmm. and whatever, right. uh, which allows you to yeah run up. It, 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 you're not quite a fighter, right? But you can you can sort of fill in as a fighter and, and have some cleric abilities along the way as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to point out also, just for the audience, not that we have to talk about these, but there was the there's the arcane domain in the uh, Sword Coast. There's also there was an unearthed arcana article uh, I think last December. That has uh, the Forge domain, which uh, ha- the, their channel divinity, for example, is mm. an artisan's blessing. So you, you, you can you know create objects and whatnot. Um, and then there's the Grave domain, which is um, the Grave domain is is kind of like somebody for anybody who played Fourth Edition. You you might think of it as someone who like watches over those who are the you know who, mortal people and that so like for example if you were a, a a cleric of the raven queen in fourth edition you might uh really identify with the grave domain mm. uh here because it's it's things like you know sentinels at death's door you impede death's progress and you you gain uh the ability and circle mortality is first level uh power you gain the ability to manipulate the line between life and death um so you know it's just like things that are focused on keeping that that person who is close to death either alive or making sure their soul cannot be corrupted mm-hmm. so thematically it sounds kind of like a less evil version of the death domain right yeah exactly and there's also another one in the in the unarthur canada the protection domain so, yeah and and it feels like for for the most part um it doesn't feel like they're saying where are the mechanical gaps in cleric? They're saying, mm-hmm. where are the story gaps? Like, what gods do right. we have? Like, okay, we've got exactly. all these domains, but but nothing really fits Mistra, so we need an arcane domain, and nothing right. really fits Gond, we, so we need the the artificer sort of forge domain or or Moradin or whatever, right? So they're filling, so they're trying to fill gaps that help you tell the yeah. stories based on your deity, that's, without necessarily just trying to look for mechanical gaps that they can make an excuse to fill in, which I like. Yep. So, so we talked about uh, the long, the wide range of spells that clerics get option, uh, options to take, um, and we talked about the traditional role of the cleric as a healer. Um, can you play a decent cleric without taking healing spells? Because not a lot of classes get them, and that's kind of what everybody expects from a cleric, right? Well, so can you play a decent cleric? Absolutely, of course you can. Will the rest of your party be happy? Well, <laughs> those are two different questions, so, so, right? So um, should you, right? Should you? Uh, well, I see I have the same answer, though. I mean, it depends on, you know, so much of, of you know, D&D is a group activity. So part of it depends on the expectations, you know. If you come in and you say, oh, I'm going to play a cleric, I'll be there to help you guys out. And then you make a cleric who doesn't take any healing spells, everybody's going to be looking at you you know, like you're crazy. They just had a different uh, definition but, of what helping out means. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, but you, you know the idea, right? So, I mean, 
On the other hand, if you come in and you say, hey, guys, I want to play a cleric because I want access to a couple of things here. But, you know, I'm not I refuse to be the person who you solely rely on as a healer. So we're going to have to make sure that we we play this party as as a team mm. so that we can all work together to make sure we all stay healthy. And it's not just me because I'm not going to focus on that. Yeah. So so here's my counter to that, though, is that I mean, and, and you can say that I'm not going to be the super healer and whatever. And that's fine. But the cost to at least have access to healing is so low because it's a mm-hmm. first level spell. You just, it, it takes up one of your many, many spell choices per day. And then you can scale it up to whatever level you need and cast it as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. So so the yeah. cost of yeah. including that on your list yeah. is so low. Like if I'm in your party and, and right. you're a cleric and you didn't take it just in case, I'm kind of pissed at you, you know? <laughs> so. Okay, but, you know, I could say the same stupid stereotypical thing about a fighter. How come every fighter isn't using the weapon with the highest damage output ever? Just right off the bat. It's so easy to get your initial starting weapon to be the weapon with the highest damage die. Yeah, but that, but so so I can I can tell you that if I'm a fighter, like I have a certain conception of a fighter and and using that other weapon negates my ability to be that kind of fighter, right? Whereas I can be whatever kind of cleric I want to be. And, mm-hmm. and and the cost of adding in, oh yeah, I can also do healing it in a pinch is so low. <laughs> like why not do because you can be the blaster fighter or the war fighter or, or I'm sorry, blaster cleric or the war cleric or whatever, but also have that in your pocket just in case. Like I, I get what you're saying and I and I agree, right? You don't have to you don't have to be the healer, uh, and you definitely don't have to make it your primary thing. But it's real tempting to like at least have it in your pocket just in case because it costs you almost nothing. It kind of depends on what the whole makeup of the party is, right? Sure. Because, I mean, the way most D&D adventures are structured is you need some healer. You need someone who's going to be able to, you know, get those get those hit points back. And uh, it doesn't have to be the cleric. I mean, it could be a bard. It could be a druid. It could be someone with, like, the healer feet, you know, who can just run up there with a bandage and, you know, get give people their hit points. But, um, so yeah, it kind of depends. But I feel that if, since if you really loved clerics, uh, you could always have multiple clerics in the same group. And then that one could be the healer and then the other one could be the one who's like, uh, I only heal when it's absolutely necessary. I, but you still got to take it just in case yeah. it's absolutely necessary, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're like, it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, it's such a, it's such a core yeah, I mean, I, I find it unlikely that you would it would be something you'd never do, especially because there's some healing power spells that you don't even need to take an action to use, like Healing right. Word, which is an incredibly awesome spell. Mm-hmm. I, I just can never imagine myself making a cleric who didn't have at least one healing spell in my pocket in case I needed it, you know? Well, I mean, okay, let's be honest, right? I mean, I'm not going to make a cleric without a healing spell. Right. But, <laughs> but that's not what you asked. I know. You You asked if it was possible to do that. Right. No, I know what I And asked. I'm saying, yes, it is, as <laughs> long you, as you set you the expectations of everybody else. You can, but you wouldn't. Well, because if I'm – so here's the thing is that's kind of the cleric's special ability, right, that they have easy access to. Just like the fighter, they get access to multiple attacks and right. really good armor, good weapons. And the, the rogue gets access to being able to stealth really well and disable traps if they're a dexterity rogue. And you know what I'm saying? Like, And so that's their thing. So mm-hmm. – my, the question you're really asking is, Should why you? would somebody play a cleric and not utilize the thing that clerics are really good at? Because all of the domains have easy access to healing, right. regardless of whatever else they have. 
And the answer is, ah, who knows? It takes all kinds. I don't know. I haven't yeah. met everybody. Well, if if you know you're gonna play it in a campaign with a lot of undead, like, yeah, yeah, that that could be in like another reason. But yeah, I, otherwise, I'm just yeah. being anti. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just saying that there's a lot of versatility to clerics. That no, I, there is. I, I really bristle at the idea that a cleric's main job should be and should be expected to be mm-hmm. the complete party support healer all the time, oh, and yeah. that's. That's all I'm saying is that you need to set expectations that that is maybe not what the cleric is going to do. They're going to be good at other stuff, too. And, yeah, they're going to have that healing. If they're a good cleric, they're going to have that healing in their back pocket, just like a paladin has lay on hands in their back pocket. Right, and I find that – so my current campaign, uh, the the party healer is a bard, right? We don't have a single cleric in the party. We don't have a druid or whatever. We have the bard who's a a lesser spellcaster, if you will, to the the other two uh, that are healing types. And and we honestly get along fine. Like fifth edition is designed in such a way that the absolute need for a cleric and any and maybe it's the way I, I run the campaign or whatever, but the absolute need for a cleric uh, tends to be fairly low. Like it comes up every now and then, or or a healer, I should say, not a cleric. <laughs> See now you got me doing it. Uh, See, here's here's the thing. There's an easy way to to think about this from the GM's perspective. We don't have a healer in my party either. We don't mm-hmm. have a cleric. We have a healer because we have a paladin. Right, but you know his lay on hands ability. Yeah, his lay on hands ability is like fifteen points of healing, and that's it. He's done. Um, and and we actually just had a new player join who's playing a bard, so I don't really know the extent of his healing ability yet for that particular character. But yes, he will. He has some healing ability. But here's the thing: as the GM, what I said to my players when all they had was this first level paladin, I said I will provide you opportunities to be able to get things like healing potions or healing salves that maybe doesn't do as well as a potion or isn't as powerful as what a cleric spell would be but will if you play if you play smartly and you use your resources correctly you'll be able to sustain yourselves mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense to the story and not just because oh there's some you know divine intervention and you find a healing potion every time you walk on the road right Oh yeah, yeah and, and I, don't, I don't even do that, right? I don't even give them the the extra fee, free healing or whatever. I, it's pretty sparse, but I find that the game is balanced in such a way that um, unless they're going into a particularly harrowing uh, set of encounters and there's no way to take a break in between or whatever, like they tend to do okay without a a, a, a cleric in the party or a druid. Well, to heal. I, I had new players, so uh, sure, you know, you, you want to make sure that they have every opportunity Absolutely. to use use what they can. We have a paladin and a uh, druid, and, and it feels like they don't they don't miss having a cleric. Um, right. You know they're they're certainly able to beat everything I throw at them. So yeah. I have to get I have to get meaner. So so <laughs> we talked in the last uh, episode that you guys weren't on when we talked about warlocks. One of the things that came up was was what happens when a warlock breaks its pact with its patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's no mechanics for that in the in this edition as rules as written, right? And the same thing is true for clerics. What happens when a cleric betrays the values, the tenets, whatever of their god? Um, there's no mechanics for that in the in the book. And in fact, you you could be a cleric without a god. Uh, rules as written at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so how do how does a DM handle that? Carefully. Any any DM or me? <laughs> sure. Yes. 
Jason, you want to take that one? I, we cut you off a couple times in the last question, so. I'll oh let no, you go I, first. you know, I've never, I haven't had that happen. Um, at least not in a rec- any recent campaigns. Um, yeah, that would. I mean, that's a really, that's a really tough question because, of course, you don't want to, um, you know, I mean, you don't want to just be just drop the hammer down on them and just remove all their powers, you know. Um, but previous editions, but, I mean, that I think, was how it worked, right? Yeah. I yeah. think it opened itself up to great role play, though, you know, because, I mean, clerics, they're in touch with the divine. They can get, like, visions or they can have dream messages or, you know, and other indications of what, you know, what their god or what deity wants for them, right? And, um, you know, they can have other kinds of effects that uh, follow them as a uh, sort of a punishment, which, which aren't, like, just sheer mechanical, like, oh, now you have disadvantage on everything, you know. Um, I don't know, uh, segueing slightly into a shameless plug for uh, my own stuff, um, <laughs> I actually did a uh, class on DMs Guild that I have up called The Priestess, which is a um, which is similar to a cross between a cleric and a, and a magic user, um, in that I wanted a cleric that didn't have, have the armor and was sort of based on... Um, uh, and was sort of more spellcasting focused and less melee focused. And um, one of their main things is that uh, they what in, in place of a wizard spellbook, what the uh, what the priestess has is an idol, which is like a you know a statue mm-hmm. that contains a, a divine spark, and they can, they carry it around. And um, basically, they if they get spells from it, and if they, something bad happens to their you know their idol, then they you know then they then they get various various penalties. Um, but it's most more of a, but it's mostly a role play thing, you know, I mean, you want the, um, you know, just like with any, just like in any role playing game, you want to guide, you, you, you want to, you want to introduce as many moral issues as the players are comfortable with, within that setting, you know, I mean, what it's, it's up to what is comfortable to the players and, you know, and, and the balance between the different, uh, you know, the different players so that it's not, you know, favoritistic. It's an, it's an interesting question, but I mean, but I think basically whatever kind of divine class you have, it opens itself up to all kinds of cool possibilities. Like you might, you know, you might have to like find stuff to sacrifice to your deity, which doesn't necessarily need to mean like a blood sacrifice, but you might need to bring them treasure or, or food or, or flowers. I don't know. Or like, so you might need to so pray he- for a days on end or until you're exhausted and get exhausted. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, here, here's the thing: is you could do that. You could give them a quest, or you could make them do penance or something, and, and that can be interesting depending on what your sort of the, what the story arc is and what's already going on in the game. But here's what else you could do that might be potentially more interesting: if they lose the favor of their god, um, they first they have to learn that. So the god is going to have to tell them somehow, whether it's through omens or signs, or they lose their powers for a day or something, uh, or at a critical time. Um, or they just start feeling that they've lost that connection. But here's the thing that could happen. They might start being contacted by another deity. Ooh. Or so, devils. Or, or some other entity, right? It doesn't have to be a deity, but they might think it's a deity. That right. It might convince them that it's a deity that they've heard of. And then they end up in a sort of warlock pact situation, even though they don't know it. They think it's still a divine situation, and it right. might not be. 
Um, so there's a ton of role playing that you can do in that respect, and not really kill your plot, right? If you if you've got some kind of overarching storyline that you're trying to follow, uh, even if you're playing a relatively sandbox style game, you might have a sort of overarching theme, um, and you don't necessarily want the cleric losing the favor of his god or her god as, to be something that's going to disrupt that entire thing. But you might throw in some extra problems for that player mm-hmm. and for the group. That they may not realize at first until it right. becomes really important, yeah, and then because, they might because you just became a heretic of your old faith, right? Right, <laughs> but, you, but you might not know that, and it might right. have to become clear to you later on. But it might become clear to the people at your temples mm-hmm. much sooner than it's clear to you. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of opportunities there. Uh, that you could, as a DM, lean on a little bit more in some sessions than in others, and sort of get the point across. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, like that, the, I, I like the idea that that another god just sort of or entity just sort of snuck right. in and and took over, you know, seamlessly, right. and you didn't even realize that now you're suddenly worshiping something different. Right. Yeah, and, that's pretty brilliant. And they they see that you know you're a devout person, you're very pious, but it turns out your piety doesn't actually match the God you thought it did. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, the God is teaching you different ways to pray and different rituals that's to right. do to replace all the things. And yeah. yeah, no, I like that idea. Yeah. So so that's those are a couple of things, right? The, giving them putting a geese on them and 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 giving them a mission is also you know a way to show. That's a, that's a tr- very traditional way yeah. to do it. Um, and you you can uh, you can have them start to see visions when they are trying to cast their spells, and if their deity is very unhappy with them, those visions can get darker and darker and darker. Even if there's not another god trying to hone in on them, if you don't want that in your campaign or whatnot, uh, there's lots of different things you can do that are sort of more role playing than mechanical because you don't want to take their healing spell from them at that critical moment that they need it to save the other player. The other PC, you know, you you can't, you don't want to hobble them that much, and it's much more fun if you make it kind of a mystery where they're not really sure what's going on, and in fact, if they don't even realize that they upset their god, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we we have talked for a very long time. It's been over an hour now of conversation about clerics, and that's awesome. Uh, any last thoughts before we close things up? Play right. cleric. Play yeah, they're the best. I had a lot of fun talking about them, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun talking with you guys. Right on. So we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to Sam for joining us. Where can people find you? Uh, as always, they can find me at DM Samuel on Twitter and uh, at RPGmusings.com. And Jason? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Mockman, M-O-C-K-M-A-N. And uh, you can find me at mockman.com. And also you uh, check out my priestess class on DMs Guild. Right on. And, and you've got some, some giant uh, poster versions of your, uh, your annotated uh, classic dungeons that you're, you're dealing with right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I just printed up a new batch. Um, I, these are all uh, maps of classic D&D adventures that I do for wizards. And... Um, uh, I also uh, sell prints of them. Uh, my most recent set of prints was the uh, Against the Giants modules, mm-hmm. um, as seen in Yawning Portal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've also done a bunch of other ones, from like Tomb of Horrors, Lost Shrine of Tomokan. Uh, I really like. I've done a lot. I've done a lot of them, <laughs> and yeah, they're really <laughs> fun to do. I love. Uh, 
it's a little bit comic-like, you know, because they also have a little storyline that sort of goes between them as you can follow mm -hmm. the adventurers along and they're uh, on their mission of, uh, you know, of either victory or, or, or ruin. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of like I get to both, I get to both DM and uh, play them, play the adventure myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, you you sent me uh, copies of the the giant ones, right? And I've already yeah. ordered I've already ordered frames from Amazon so I can hang them up on my wall with the rest of my oh, collection, cool. my game Thank room. Thank you so, so much. It's really I'm cool. Glad you like Thank them. you for sending them. Yeah, they're awesome. Awesome. And we'd also like to say thank you to our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com, and to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or for being a patron of the show at Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. All of those go directly to me. You can also get a hold of me through Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can contact Tracy. She is at Sarah Darkmagic. Uh, and you can uh, also tag the show. Uh, we are at The Tome Show. Of course, that's also me most of the time. So... Uh, either way, I, I, I am all-knowing when it comes to things Tome Show, right? I like to think. <laughs> <laughs> and that's episode 284, where we spend our time following a higher calling and healing the rifts between editions in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.